will go ahead and say it with no pretense. There are some really troubling things in the news for American Christians. I want to talk about that, the State of the Union, the shutdown, that, and a whole lot more on this week's Corey Act Show. This is the best thing, the best thing that could be happening. And I think you would agree the best thing is that it's happening to you and me. There's certainly no reason to soft it where I could just say, hey, uh, i got some news for you that I think is kind of troubling and weird, but I'm sure everything's going to be okay. Now, I'm going to straight tell you, there was a, a little bit of a different tone in some stories over the last 10 days or so that I hate to say worried. I'm not worried, but I think there are some things in the news that we need to be paying attention to as potentially signs of troublesome things to come. So in order, here's what we're going to do today. There was a trending hashtag out on the interwebs, Facebook and Twitter mostly. Last week, the hashtag that started the trend was Expose Christian Schools. It came off of the controversy surrounding Mike Pence's wife and the job she took. But there was a whole lot of information, things that I saw, uh, and something I want to talk about when it comes to Christian schools in the United States of America. So we're going to start there. I do want to give you the stories that I find to be troubling that this general cultural milieu that's that has grown towards a uh, th- there's some antagonism towards Christianity is getting a little more aggressive and the acceptance of that aggression is becoming more mainstream uh, then I want to talk about the kids from that Covington school in Kentucky who had a confrontation of sorts with a couple protesters and the Native American guy with the drum and how that story is very similar to the thing that BuzzFeed did regarding what they reported about the president. And if we have time at the end, I want to talk about what we should do with the State of the Union, the government shutdown, and maybe a little bit of playoff and Super Bowl talk if we can get there. So that's the plan. Uh, The table set before you, and as I say, we shall feast in just a moment. But first, my name is Corey Truax. We're dedicated to smarter, better, deeper talk about everything here on the Corey Truax Show. I'm also the pastor for teaching at Beachwood Church. And so, you know, big announcement, Beachwood Church will no longer be meeting at Greenville High School in downtown Greenville starting the first Sunday in February. We're going to be back at our property over on 123 in between Easley and Greenville. And you are invited, 1030 Sunday mornings there at the property at Beachwood Church. Here we go. I was intrigued. I got on Twitter, and I look at the trending page, and I see at least the trending section, and it tells me that Expose Christian Schools, hashtag Expose Christian Schools, is a thing that's trending. And I see it is off the back of the fact that Karen Pence, Mike Pence's wife, has decided to go teach art at a private Christian school in Northern Virginia, a place that she has taught previously. And it led to the internet getting its catharsis, the people on the internet getting their catharsis to say bad things about Christians. And man, was there a lot of it. Here's part of what I found as a theme, because I was into it. I read it. As someone who went to Christian schools, I went to Christian schools here in the upstate. I work in higher education. I go back and forth with, I interact with Christian school families. I'm somebody who actually believes deeply in the ethic of Christian education. A lot of folks don't know this, but the first universities in the world, the University of Paris and then Oxford, Cambridge, then over across the pond here with Harvard and Yale and Princeton, these are all Christian universities originally. It's Christian organizations that first educated the poor and educated women and educated minorities. That's what we do. It's a Christian ethic to cultivate 
the minds and the intellects that God has given us. And Christians have been on the forefront of education for literally centuries. And certainly there have been those who wear the label of Christianity who have been on the back end of that debate, have been wrong on that debate. But it has been Christianity pushing forward educational excellence for for literally ever. Since Christianity came along, that's been part of our ethic. Here's something I noticed as people were doing the exposed Christian schools thing on social media. You would hear stories of someone on Twitter that says, hashtag exposed Christian schools. I went to Christian schools my whole life, got into my mid-tier public college or my my technical college and found that I, I wasn't on the same reading level, writing level, that, that my Christian school really did a terrible job, and I had to go back and learn middle school and high school level stuff in remedial courses because my Christian school messed me up so bad educationally. They weren't good at it. And there was that was one whole theme of the stories, that here we have these Christian schools, these rogue Christian schools out there doing a terrible job of educating their kids, and it's taking advantage of them. And these, I, I saw one that was basically just making the point that Christian schools are often like a bunker. And so you get a bunch of people who may not actually have higher education. Uh, they might not have a lot of formal education, but parents who can pay a little bit. And so they send their kids to school. Where they know they'll teach them some Bible, not teach them the, some of the insanity of things that come along in some of the public schools. But you've got underpaid teachers and underpaid administrators, and no one's really qualified. No one really knows how to do education, and it ends up being these disastrous situations for kids. Like that was one genre. Then there was another genre of complaint that hashtag exposed Christian schools. Here's the backward sexual ethics they taught us, and the backward sexual ethics was sex is made for one man and one woman forever in the bonds of matrimony. That was the ethic they were taught. I actually saw one girl who said. Her uh, Christian ethics teacher, she had a Christian ethics class, and that teacher put out a bowl of candy uh, and had all the, all the candy was wrapped except for one piece. So there was one rogue piece of candy floating around in the bowl, and she passed it around, told everyone to grab a piece of candy, and then when she got the bowl back, the one unwrapped piece was you know, the one that no one would touch. And he, that Christian ethics teacher explained, especially to the girls in the room, that's you. And if you let a bunch of people touch you, then no one's going to want you. And that was the ethic. I, I would come back to that girl and just quick, quickly say, I, I don't know. Go talk to 10 guys and ask if it matters if you've been sexually involved with a whole bunch of dudes. Go ahead. Maybe your Christian ethics teacher was right. Maybe that's actually an ethic to consider in your life. Uh, but she says that that was an oppressive way to teach. And so this was... The thing going on out there, expose the Christian schools. They're, they don't do a good job. They're backward people. They're, just, they're there to, uh, to incul- insulate, sorry, insulate themselves from the culture, and they're ruining kids and hold them accountable. Expose the Christian schools. And I had some thoughts. I will tell you, I went to college and found in some ways I was very prepared. I was ahead of the other 18-year-olds in some of my classes. But there were some subjects. And once I ended up loving, I mean, I'll tell you, history was one. I got into some Western Civilization courses in college and realized I don't know some things that everyone else knows. Now, granted, I, I did a lot of my own self-education. I supplemented that. And by the end of my college career, I would have put up my 
knowledge of the Enlightenment, put up my knowledge of the uh, the Reformation, put up my knowledge of the Cold War, World War II, a lot of different s- segments of history up against a lot of peoples, and I think I I would have dominated in a lot of those places intellectually. But I I even noticed coming out of my Christian school background, yeah, there were some things I wasn't particularly well prepared for in comparison to my peers. Now, I also found that to be true of people who went to public schools. You know, on this exposed Christian schools concept, this idea that, well, I got a bad education at my Christian school. You know who also sometimes gets some bad education? Kids in public schools. You're always going to have that, guys. There's going to be a bad school. There's going to be a bad teacher. Christian schools are not exempt from it. That's just true. I saw one of the memes of this exposed Christian schools movement was all the stories of molestation and things. Guys, that happens and it's tragic. You do know that happens in public schools, right? When we hear the stories of the teachers who are having sex with students, that comes out of a lot of public schools. When we see a lot of the stories of molestation and relationships between adults and children... That comes out of the public schools, too. It's not just the Christian schools. Now, it happens in the Christian schools, and hey, expose it. But let's not pretend that the human condition is not universal across other educational spectrums. Yeah, let's expose some Christian schools, but let's expose schools when they have the wrong thing going on, and they don't address it. They don't have the proper punishments. They don't get into law enforcement when they should. When they should. I, again, as a guy coming from higher education, it is hit and miss. I could do this with homeschoolers too, but certainly from the Christian schools. I have come across the Christian school kid who can't look me in the eye, who has a bad time with social, being able to socialize like that you might want as, as a 17 or 18-year-old, who bombed the SAT and not really do well at the college level. I've seen that. I've also seen the kid who went to a generally comparable Christian school who walks in the door with a 1,200-plus SAT, who really uh, is, is heavily involved in social things and knows how to handle him or herself and, uh, and thrives uh, at the college level. And I've seen everywhere in between. But you know where else I've seen that? From the public school kids and the homeschool kids and all the co-op kids and the university model kids and the charter school kids. I've seen that kid everywhere because it's not just the it's not the genre of schooling, the category of schooling that's causing these things. Every kid is different. Every parental situation is different. And teachers are different. This happens all the time in every type of school. I think we should also thinking about exposing Christian schools. There's another thing I'd like to expose, especially in the Charlotte and Atlanta area. There are a whole bunch of I, I say those two cities because they're bigger cities. There's lots of money in those cities. And I could mention this about a school in Greenville, and I won't. They put Christianity on the label, but all it means is private school. It's a parent who doesn't want their kids in a public school because they just they, they like the prominence. They like to be able to say they pay tuition and send their kid to this place and this. They uh, you know there's one that doesn't even put Jesus on the label, but like Spartanburg Day School, that's a secular school, but there's um. There's supposed to be status attached to that. It's a status symbol for the family to say that that's where they send their kid. I notice it in Charlotte and Atlanta a lot with this situation, where mom and dad have money, their kid wants to play a sport, 
And the bottom line is their kid's not good enough. Now, they say the coach's politics. There's politics on the team, and we weren't able to get a fair shake. And so what they do is they send their kid to a Christian school because they get some playing time there, and it's less competitive, and their kid can play the sport they want to play. They have Sally over here who wasn't being able to get the parts and all the plays that she wants, but mom and dad have some money, and so they send them to the, quote, Christian school, and the Christian school has less competition, and now Sally gets a star in all the musicals. Like This is one of the things that, quote, Christian schools have, need to have exposed to. There's a bunch of Christian schools out there with the name on the label, and they have nothing to do with Christianity. And so, to start wrapping this up, there was revealed in social media in this exposed Christian schools that, yeah, we have a problem with a lot of Christian schools. They're the same problems in public schools, but that's fine to talk about individual individual situations and try to address them one-to-one and make sure we're where there can be recompense, that recompense is made. So let's expose Christian schools that way, but let's expose all schools that way. The other big thing that came out of that is it starts to be really clear, some crystallization of how much anger there is in the non-Christian world towards Christian, how how much antipathy there is from non-Christians towards Christianity. And I can't even say that it's not totally deserved, from time to time, but that's what I want to get to more in depth when we come back. We have a brewing anti-Christian storm in American culture. We will talk about it when we return for the rest of the Corey Truax Show. Welcome back to the Corey Act Show. Connect to the show on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or Snapchat, wherever you would like to do that. I would be greatly appreciative if you would. Also, if you want to listen to the show on the podcast version, it's genuinely everywhere podcasts are distributed. You can call into the show on Anchor, on anchor.fm. If you want to get your own, uh, you, you do it on the website, you can do it on your phone. You can actually call in and give your opinion on a given thing. And if you want to like prepare it and write it out even and do it in a compelling way, I, hey, I don't want to do the hard work of doing this show every week. If you want to send in some audio and be featured, I'm, I'm not going to complain if you take away a minute of my time of having to fill up this gaping chasm of content. Come on now, give me some help. You can call in on Anchor, leave a voicemail there, and help me out with the show. So what I saw on Twitter last week with the exposed Christian schools hashtag, amongst many things I saw, one of them was the growing acceptance of just anti-Christian hatred. It was all born out of the story of Karen Pence, Mike Pence, the vice president, Mike Pence, his wife going to teach at a Christian school. There was someone who even suggested, I think on MSNBC, it might have been on CNN, that she shouldn't even get Secret Service protection. If she's going to go out to these backwards, bigoted Christian schools, she shouldn't even get protection from Secret Service while she's there. And there was a lot of mockery around it, a lot of anger towards Karen Pence because this school, has a statement of faith and has a statement of conduct that says if you're going to work here, if you're going to be a student here, you abide by the traditional standards of Christian ethics and behavior, which means you're... I, mean, I saw this at another school last year. There was some controversy. They fired a teacher who was... She got pregnant. She wasn't married to anybody, so they fired the teacher. Okay. Good. She signed a statement of behavior. She broke it. Bye. Good luck. I mean, I hope you find another job. And But they have every right to do that. And so here's Karen Pence. She signs up with the school. One of their statements is 
you know, we don't we don't hire people here that identify as LGBT, and so it's this becomes a big uh, a big controversy surrounding her. And what it exposed again is there's just a lot of people who do not like Christians, and they don't like Christians because Christians are Christians. They don't like us because we believe Christian things. Like it's okay if you disagree with us, but there's a level of just hatred. I don't think what you think, and I hate you for it. That's what I'm picking up from sec- the secularists out there, and I. It started to bring back some memories. So I want to play for you a couple clips of how this has been how this has been growing. This has been a blossoming problem over time. So let's start here with Bernie Sanders. Senator Bernie Sanders of Vermont questioning a uh, a nominee for Office of Manage and Bu- Management and Budget about something he had written in The Resurgent. This is a guy who actually went to Wheaton College, a Christian college in Chicago. Uh, Here's Bernie Sanders questioning this nominee for Office of Management and Budget. And that is in the piece that I referred to that you wrote for a publication called Resurgent. You wrote, Muslim, quote, Muslims do not simply have a deficient theology. They do not know God because they have rejected Jesus Christ, his son, and they stand condemned. End of quote. Do you believe? Do you believe that that statement is Islamophobic? Do you believe that statement is Islamophobic? No, that's Christian doctrine. It's certainly like. Do we? Can we also stop pretending that the word phobic doesn't mean what it means? In a denotative sense, phobic means scared. To say in the Christian doctrine, they don't. Muslims don't believe in Jesus for their forgiveness of their sins. They're therefore condemned before God. That doesn't mean I'm scared of Muslims. I think they're going to hurt people. That's that's a different thing, Bernie. Words have meaning. Absolutely not, Senator. I'm a Christian, and I believe in a Christian set of principles based on my faith. Uh, that post, as I stated in the questionnaire to this committee, was to defend my alma mater, Wheaton College, a Christian school that has a statement of faith that includes the centrality of Jesus Christ for salvation, and... Again, I apologize. I do Forgive me. I, we just don't have a lot of time. Do you believe that people in the Muslim religion stand condemned? Is that your view? Again, Senator, I'm a Christian, and I... I wish he would have just said, um, I'm a Christian who believes Christian things, and this is part of long even before the Reformation. Yes, salvation is through Jesus Christ alone. I wrote that piece... Well, what does that say? The statement of faith. We I understand that. I don't know how many Muslims there are in America. I really don't know. Probably a couple of million. Are you suggesting that all of those people stand condemned? What about Jews? They stand condemned too. Why does this matter for the guy who wants to run the office of management and budget? It doesn't. This is. This is an. Uh, let's go with. This exposes. This exposes on the left. There's an appetite for it. There's an appetite for go get those Christians, hate on them, give these questions up as trying to make them look bad. But something Christians are going to need to do here is just be bold and say, are you asking me if I believe the thing the Christians have believed for 2,000 years? Uh, For 2,000 years? Yeah, I do. I don't. Yeah, we all do. That's a Christian thing. Are are you going to dislike us and disown us? out of your bigotry towards what we believe, what our faith actually prescribes? Senator, I'm a Christian. I I understand you are a Christian, but this country is made up of people who are not just. I understand that Christianity is the majority religion, but there are other people who have different religions in this country and around the world. In your judgment, 
Do you think that people who are not Christians are going to be condemned? Thank you. That tone, even from Bernie, that anger, this is where we stand, guys. The anger expressed towards Karen Pence for daring to go teach at a Christian school. The the anger expressed here towards Russell Vote or whatever his name is trying to be trying to head up the IM, uh, IMB office or OMB yeah OMB Office of Management and Budget. This is the attitude of the secular left towards Christianity. Thank you for probing on that question. As a Christian, I believe that all individuals are made in the image of God and are worthy of dignity and respect, regardless of their religious beliefs. I believe that, that as a Christian, that's how I should treat. All individuals. And do you think your statement that you put into that publication, they do not know God because they've rejected Jesus Christ the Son and they stand condemned? Do you think that's respectful of other religions? Senator, I wrote a post based on being a Christian and attending a Christian school that has a statement of. There's, by the way, also in the Constitution, uh, think about not having religious tests. This is what Bernie Sanders is doing. And if you go back, he's giving a religious test. Now, one of the, the uh, seasons in American politics we're supposed to be most angry at and that we're supposed to look back on with the most shame is the McCarthy era, where he was trying to root out the communists. And one of the things they would ask in, the, in those McCarthy hearings is, are you now or have you ever been a member of the, uh, of the Communist Party? This sounds reminiscent. This sounds like, have you now or have you ever been a Christian? Have you now or have you ever followed biblical teaching? Have you now or have you ever identified with a rabbi from Nazareth who was crucified on a cross and rose again? Have Do you now or have you ever identified with this group? And they just don't like us. Remember this one. When Amy Coney Barrett was being questioned when she was being nominated for one of the judgeships. I don't remember which one of these it is, but this is something that the California senator not Barbara Boxer, but the other one, Diane Feinstein, I think that's her name. This is what she said to Amy Coney Barrett. The dogma lives loudly within you, and that's of concern. It shouldn't be, because you know why the, it should not be, Senator Feinstein? Because you don't get to be concerned about something the Constitution says you don't get to have a, a thought on. You don't get to have a religious test for people. And that's dogma. Actually, I'm going to look it up here. Dogma, D-O-G-M-A. Yep, dogma, definition. A principle or set of principles laid down by an authority or incontrovertibly in, true. So it doesn't actually technically have to do with religion, but it's come, to, it's come to mean that. Like People say dogmatic. When they say dogmatic, they tend to mean religious people. And here is Dianne Feinstein saying to a Catholic woman, the dogma lives loudly within you. What you believe religiously, your religious belief demands of you certain ideology. It's loud in you, and that concerns me. Well, I'm I'm not sorry. Does it concern you when a Jew is before you and a Muslim is before you? If you run into a Hindu, does it concern you that the dogma lives loudly within them? This is an appetite on the secular left. Go get those Christian schools. Go get Karen Pence. Shut down Russell Vote. Shut down Amy Coney Barrett. Not 
or not at a place anymore where they want to have a discussion. This is destruction. They don't want discussion. They want destruction. This is a subset. I'm not saying that of every Democrat. That's not true. I'm not saying that of every liberal. That's not true. There's a subset of American leftism that doesn't want to talk anymore with the Christians. They want to destroy us. Kamala Harris adds on to this. So the weekend before, or the week before she declares she's running for president, if you didn't hear, I know we're all very excited. Kamala Harris is running for president, the senator from California. I think she did this on purpose because she was trying to get cred, build credibility with secular leftism, which is a huge chunk of the Democratic primary voting bloc. She wanted to signal to them, hey guys, I'm your hammer. If, if the nail that you want hammered is Christians, if you want them punished for what they think and believe, I'll be the hammer on that nail. Because she turned in to Brian Boucher. He was, he's been nominated for something. I think it's a district court, maybe. She turned in a questionnaire for him to answer. And so this is a guy who is a Catholic, part of the group called Knights of Columbus. Knights of Columbus, because I do know some history, they actually were started way back... Probably a little more than 100 years ago, to battle anti Christian, or excuse me, anti Catholic bigotry at the time. Uh, because that was a thing. You know, the, the country was so Protestant, some Catholics had some problems. I mean, re- remember the one, I don't know about remember, I mean, I can't remember. I was born in 86, but we all know the story of JFK. There were some questions about JFK when he was going to run. Can a Catholic be president? Are they going to be loyal to the Pope or loyal to the Constitution? Uh, when those two things come into conflict, Catholics have had their troubles here in the United States, and now Knights of Columbus raises money for good causes. That's what they do. They're a goodwill organization amongst the Catholics. But here's Kamala Harris, since it's written. I can't play you the audio, but she has in her questionnaire, since 1993, you've been a member of the Knights of Columbus. It's an all-male society comprised of Catholic men. In 2016, Carl Anderson, their leader, described abortion as a legal regime that's resulted in more than 40 million deaths. By the way, that's just true. Back to the quote. Mr. Anderson went on to say abortion is killing of the innocent on a massive scale. Were you aware that the Knights of Columbus opposed a woman's right to choose when you joined the organization? She followed up with, were you aware the Knights of Columbus opposed marriage equality when you joined the organization? The questions here are, were you aware that a Catholic organization believed Catholic things and that you are a Catholic doing Catholicy things? Are you aware of Catholic Catholicism? That's what she's doing there. Because there is an acceptance now of just disliking Christians. Just hating our gut. It's a small group, but they are there. So this is where I wanted to get to. I go almost 30 minutes of the information of all the things that are, you know, expo- all these things that are anti-Christian. You expose the Christian schools, and Karen Pence is a bad person for working at that Christian school. And Bernie Sanders says, do you believe what the Bible says about Muslims and folks who don't identify with Jesus? And to Amy Coney Barrett from Diane Phones Feinstein, the dogma, your faith lives a little too loudly within you for my comfort. It disturbs me all the way to Kamala Harris to, are, are you involved with the Knights of Columbus? All that comes to here. If you are listening to me and you identify as a Christian, it's not long, guys, that we're probably going to have to make a decision about how serious we are. There is an insanity in the culture. It has, it's escalated the last, I don't know, decade? 
everything feels a little more tenuous. You know, one of the scenes that's come to my head is because everything seems like a mob. Everything is mob mentality on social media. It feels like the entire American culture is the mob outside of Lot's house wanting to drag out his two angelic visitors. Guys, we might be those angelic visitors in this analogy. I, I, what I need you to understand if you're listening to me from this Christian perspective, that's normal. That's who we've been in history. As bad as we can get about the idea of the people that say, bake the cake, bigot, take the pictures, bigot, make the flower arrangements, bigot, as much as we can get angry about it, we, we, we probably really need to be prepared for a culture that really is going to demand of us. Believe what you believe, but you're not getting this job. Believe what you believe, but you're not being elected to that seat. Believe what you believe, but you're not getting this appointment. Believe what you believe, but you are going to suffer in some way. American culture has not asked Christians to suffer much. Most other Christians, through time immemorial, and without geography, without respect to geography, most Christians around the world and throughout time have been asked to sacrifice, have been diminished and deprived of things in the cultures where they were because they were running countercultural. That's not been asked of us yet. It feels like it can't possibly be much longer until that takes place. We have been largely immune to anti-Christianism because the country was kind of born out of it. But what are you going to do when your job, your family, your opportunities turn on you because you, you are faithful to believing what the Bible teaches? You're faithful to the ancient faith that the Bible has given us. I would just give you this one piece of counsel. We'll probably take an early break and we'll move on. Our purpose on this earth is not comfort. Our purpose on this earth is not to gather things for ourselves, to gather things into the proverbial storehouses where moth and rust and thieves destroy. I want to go ahead and settle that in my own heart that I'll suffer to stand by that which is right. I'll go ahead and set my mind on things above. I'll go ahead and hold tightly to Jesus and hold loosely to the things of the world with a living, deep, and abiding hope that for all of the mockery the name of Jesus gets now, and the mockery and hate and the deprivation that his followers might get right now, that there is coming a day. We firmly believe we have the hope of a day coming where every one of those mockers' mouths will be shut. All of the marching protests against us and the social media mobs against us, they're, they're going to have those knees bent to the king of all time and the king of the universe. So we can react now. 
with anger and resentment. We can do that. We can try to fight back. Or we can be the people of the Sermon on the Mount, where we are peacemakers. Where as far as it concerns us, this is not this next part's not technically part of the Sermon on the Mount, but where as far as it concerns us concerns us, we live peaceably with all men that we're seeking the welfare of the city and that we live in, this, seeking the welfare of the country, that we live in being people that are trying to create peace, being people of mercy, being people of second chances, being people that pray for and love the culture around us that does not like us. It has a subset that's genuinely coming after us. There's a lot of Americans that don't like that. They want to fight. That's not what we're called to. We're called to faithful, consistent obedience to follow after Jesus. I've got a lot more I want to do when we come back. I want to talk about this uh, this conflict that happened at the Lincoln Memorial uh, with this Native American gentleman and the, the guys from the school, this Catholic school in Kentucky. I want to talk about the shutdown and maybe what, what we should do with the State of the Union. Hopefully some NFL playoffs. we got all of that when we come back for the rest of the Corey Act Show. Hi there. Welcome back to the Corey Act Show. Glad to have you with us here for the final segment for this week. If you would, be so kind to share the podcast with others. Some of you do it with regularity, like my friend Charlie. Oh, also, uh, just hit me. I never actually responded. Um, that's, listener Charlie also did the YourMorals.org survey from last week, and I've been meaning to go to look at his results because I've not done that yet because I am a very bad broadcaster when it comes to social media interaction. I mean, and not even just social media interaction. Guys, I have so many text messages I have not responded to. I have so many Facebook messages I haven't responded to. And it's... I'm not trying to portray myself as popular. I'm not. I just get... I get like four or five, and I go, all right, got to set aside, set aside some time and respond to those. I'll, I'm going to do it. And then I, I get to a weekend, and I sit down and go, all right, here, I'm going to do it. I'm going to respond to these four or five Facebook messages and a couple Twitter direct messages. And then I find it's grown to like 10 or 11. And I have a bunch of red dot notifications on my iPhone. And I do get a little overwhelmed by it because if you start responding to people, they're going to respond back. You know that's going to be true. And so it's one of those, I don't know what to do. But So for those of you who have contact that I've not responded to, my apologies. Uh, I'm trying to get to it. And one day I'll overcome my own contact anxiety and just sit down one day and get it all done. But let's get back to the news because I know you didn't want to hear me talk about how much I don't respond to people and that very bad habit of mine. Last weekend, during the March for Life, there was a group from Covington Catholic School in Kentucky. The story as it was reported, and I will admit I fell for it. I felt I didn't post anything about it. I didn't tweet about it. I didn't Facebook anything about it. But I believed it. I believed what I was seeing in my feed. The original story was there was a peaceful demonstrator, a Native American older guy, late 60s, early 70s, banging his drum in front of Lincoln Memorial in some kind of peaceful demonstration. And a bunch of kids in Make America Great Again hats accosted him, surrounded him, mocked him. There's one who has a a really terrible grin, just kind of looking him in the face. And so it looked like a bunch of white, privileged kids harassing an older Native man. And it made me mad. I was very angry about it, and I just couldn't 
uh, couldn't fathom what what kind of upbringing it would take to do to behave this way. So I was I was mad about it. I found out later, as the uh, the kid primarily featured in this video put out his own statement, other people were putting out statements, that there was a video out there I could go watch of the whole thing, over two hours long. I did not watch the entire two hours, but I did watch about 20 minutes of the lead-up and conclusion, uh, or at least, uh, let's go with 20 minutes of context around the thing that everyone was seeing. Because the, the one minute everyone was seeing was a kid smiling menacingly at an elderly Indian man or native man while he banged on a drum and a bunch of kids kind of laughing. And it does seem like maybe having a mockery, taking some pictures, what looked like harassment of an older person. When you get some context, you realize, oh, I was lied to. CNN lied to me. They didn't just see it differently. They selectively edited a video to lie to me. And MSNBC did the same thing. So if you have not seen that video, it's out there on YouTube. There's a bunch of versions of it now. Uh, but let me give you just the facts of the case. Here's what actually happened. There were four or five protesters from what I consider to be like a cult. They are an African-American group that says they descend, they're, they're descendants of like Abraham, like G- black Jews, have a very special calling. Like they're, they're a weird group. And they were saying some things to the kids from Kentucky. And the kids from Kentucky were at the Lincoln Memorial because that's where they were supposed to meet. That's where they were told, their teachers told them to meet so they could get on the buses and go home. They wanted to go back to Kentucky. And they had some things being yelled at them. What, uh, what transpires with the Native American guy is I don't know why, but he actually was, he walked into those kids. This is clear. He had every ability to get to the Lincoln Memorial, to get where he wanted. There was a lot of space he, on purpose, for some reason, walked directly into the melee. I don't know if he, if he was hearing the, the conflict between the students and these other protesters or demonstrators, but he put himself in the center of that. These kids, if you listen, are chanting school chants, like cheerleader chants. I don't know if that was the smartest thing to do. They were trying to... If you if you listen and you believe these the Catholic school kids, their thought was this is a tense thing, uh, and since these folks are using this kind of language, like let's just do a positive thing and say our chance for school spirit. It, there's I listen. I went and watched it. I listened to it. There is no build the wall chant. There aren't the the things that it's implied is racist. None of that stuff gets chanted. It sounds like school chants, and this other kid stares him down. He, he says, and I, that's how the tape looks to me, he says he was surprised that this Indian guy, this native guy, just walked right up to him. And so he locked eyes with him. And, I mean, I know. I was 16 or 17. I don't care what the situation is. If you're locking eyes with me and walking up to me, out of my own pride, I'm probably going to lock eyes with you. Uh, I'm not going to look away just out of my own arrogance. Or uh, this, I, I don't know if this kid is pure as the, pure as the driven snow as he tries to make himself out to be, he says in his statement, he was just kind of freaked out, and he was trying to de-escalate, and so he was just smiling pleasantly at this guy. He wanted him to know he wasn't a threat to him. I don't know about that. I, I know those kids, because I was kind of one of them, that there it just becomes a point of, of pride, but in any event, th- it was not a racist thing. 
and the kids didn't start it. The Catholic kids didn't start it. So that's this. That, that's one thing we need to know that this guy Nathan Phillips, the native guy, when he went on CNN to tell his account of the story, he lied. He didn't tell a different perspective. He lied about what happened. The video does not lie. He did. He lied about what took place. Now, uh, what happened to those kids was tragic. They were really attacked online really badly. Um, hopefully everyone will forget about it and leave these kids alone. But that story, so there's here's this false narrative that the, the media wanted to have. This goes to one of my themes. There's a group of people who saw the video, that video supports the worldview they already hold, and so they just believed it. They just believe Make America Great Again hat kids are going to be jerks to non-white people, and they just believe it. Just don't fact check it. Don't even have any skepticism. Nope, I believe it. It's what I. It, it's the picture I would have already had in my head, and so I'm just going to believe it outright. That's immature, and it's irresponsible, and it's not... It's not how adults should roll in these things. I'm, I'm distracting myself. I've got to make one other quick point on this, and then we're moving on to the BuzzFeed story. I would, I would give this caution, though. You know, I say the kids didn't start it, and they didn't. They didn't start it. They were there. I mean, they were being kind of obnoxiously loud, I guess, when I was watching some of that video, as kids are, high schoolers especially. But they didn't... They weren't the ones that started an altercation with the original demonstrators and protesters. They did not go to this Native American man. He came to them. But here's a bottom line truth. The way that those original protesters, the, the black Jew people, black Jewish people, and the Native people, I think they would say, yeah, they started it. Here's how. They wore those hats. The wearing of the Make America, Make America Great Again hat was the trigger for conflict. Now, they, that may not be fair, but I think it's something for us to consider. I think it's something for, even if you're a super hardcore Trump supporter, you should consider what it means to someone, what, what, what that hat means, and who it's connected to. And you can have the attitude, well, they need to get over it. I'm going to wear what I want to wear. All right, it's fine. You can be unproductive. Yeah, you can have no one listen to you. You can have no productivity to the discourse whatsoever. That's fine. And you can feel good about what you're wearing. Or you can recognize there's a poison attached to that hat and not wear it. Now, I would disagree with the Native American guy and the black Jewish people. Wearing the hat is not a... It's not a sign of aggression. It's just probably not wise. If we're looking for peace, it's probably not wise. Now, so you go to that story. People heard it. Some people heard it. It verified their preconceived notion, and so they just believed it. This also happened last week with that BuzzFeed story. So BuzzFeed comes along, says that they have evidence that... Uh, and, and Robert Mueller, the, the, the Russia investigation, is going to turn this up, that Donald Trump, President Trump, directed Michael Cohen, his previous lawyer, to lie about their dealings with Russia. He says he, that BuzzFeed is saying that Donald Trump absolutely said to Michael Cohen, when you get in front of Congress, 
lie. Or, as he might have said it, Michael, when you're sitting down in front of Congress, you've got to lie. Don't tell the truth about Russia and Putin. That's, that's what he says. In a move that I've never seen anything like it, Robert Mueller's team comes out as actually, his name was Peter Carr, I think is the, the spokesman for Mueller's group. And he says, that's not the case. We don't have, we do not have corroboration of that. BuzzFeed is staying by the story and saying, yeah, that's that's how it's going to be. We're that, That's how it's going to come out. But again, it's, it's the same group. There's just a different group of people who believe there's going to be the miracle. There's a miracle coming where we're going to be able to get rid of this president, and it's probably going to do something with Mueller, and Mueller's going to come along and do the miraculous. And so it was a preconceived notion. It's something I want to believe. And so BuzzFeed publishes it without any, without any real evidence except they say unnamed sources in the Mueller team. That's their best thing, unnamed sources. But because the preconceived notion said you should believe this, a lot of people just believed it. I actually remember very vividly. I was writing on Friday night either to go see my nephews or coming back from their house. Can't recall. But on NPR, on uh, All Things Considered, every Friday at 5 o'clock, they have a two-person panel discussion. And it's like a week in review, 10 or 11 minutes of here's what happened this week. And sometimes they have a conservative, sometimes a liberal. A lot of times it's just non-ideological, just recap of the news. And they talked about the BuzzFeed story for all 10 minutes or so. And what, what struck me the most was at the beginning, the anchor said, uh, so BuzzFeed's reporting this, 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 this. She gives all the facts that I just gave you. And then she said these words. She says, NPR has not independently verified the story. Now, bringing in our guests, and I was like, oh, wait, what? You've not verified any of these facts? And you're about to talk about it on the air for 10 minutes? How? Why? Because preconceived notions. And we got to be better than that. We gotta be, we've got to be more mature than that. Until there's more facts, nope, I don't believe it. I'm skeptical of it. I don't run with it. Not until you have more facts uh, for it. And that happened with both of those stories. It happened with the story of the kids from... Covington Catholic School. It happened with the BuzzFeed story. And it happens with folks on the right all the time, too. They'll hear a story. It it verifies what they already believe, and so they grab onto it without verifying anything whatsoever. I, I saw this this week of someone that I generally consider smart shared a story from years ago about Ford building a new manufacturing center, and they had uh, you know, some kind of caption about, we're making, making, making America great again, and Trump's policy's working. The story was from like 2011 or something. But they saw a story. They saw a story, Ford's building a plant, things are going well, preconceived notion is that Donald Trump's a genius in the economy, and so they just post it, they just share it. All right, everything's going great. All right, everybody grow up, slow down, and be a critical thinker before we just believe what we hear and before we start sharing the things that we hear. Final, I'm running out of time here, so final couple thoughts for the day. I am, have been so consistent since 2000, I think 13, when someone taught me, I can't remember who, I found out that the State of the Union was only like this, like when the president goes to Congress and has this big, has this this very big spectacle around the State of the Union. That's only been since Woodrow Wilson. I did not know that. 
that George Washington actually submitted the states of the Union as letters. And for a long time, that's what presidents did. From time to time, they submitted a letter to Congress, and that letter would sometimes be published in newspapers, but it wasn't this big spectacle. And I have been an advocate for years of going back to that, partly because I couldn't stand watching Barack Obama do it, but just generally, it feels... It feels kingly. Like, this is a weird thing. We are not supposed to celebrate the president, whoever it is. Obama, Bush, Clinton, Trump. We're not supposed to do this. Like, set them up on that pedestal. Uh, and he's like the, the grandfather of the country coming to talk to the kids. Like, you're bureaucrat in chief. That's supposed to be your role. So I never liked it. This would be a way, that, hey, Donald Trump could win some points with me. If they're going to have a conflict over the State of the Union and whether or not it's going to be given, he should do it in a letter. Publish the thing, do a short 10-minute version of it on like a Twitter video or something, call it a day. That's how the State of the Union should be done. And then finally, the President of the United States last weekend offered a deal to Democrats to reopen the government. It was a deal that Ann Coulter didn't like. She's a hard, the hardest line of hardliners on immigration policy. She opposed it because it was giving away temporary protected status for some illegals, like a mini-type amnesty, like a lot of things Democrats want to get $5 billion for some border security, and then you reopen the government. Between these two parties on this particular discussion, between Pelosi and Schumer and the President of the United States, President Trump, on this one thing, I'm going to say something that makes some of your heart sore and some of your heart sink. The president's just right. Just objectively, we take the personalities out of it, take the personalities that we like and dislike. The president's proposal was a fine proposal. Like, it's a fine, it's not all the stuff he wants, it's not all the stuff they want. It's actually the mature way to do some things. If you're doing a negotiation, look, I, I want my $5 billion and I, I want to get it, but hey, here's some things for you guys, and I know what we all want is to get the, the government reopened, so let's just do that. Uh, but the Democrats are so invested on giving him nothing because it's a big part of their electoral strategy that I think it's going to hurt them. But either, I, either way, I wanted to say, the president's proposal was totally rational, and I could I could have voted for that, I think, if I were in Congress. We've run all out of time. We'll come back next week. Heath will be back next week so we can talk about the Super Bowl, uh, maybe recap the NFL playoffs. So tune back in for another new edition next week. Until then, peace and love.